Welcome to the Two Vets Talk Pets podcast, hosted by veterinarians Dr. Lewis Kirkham and Dr. Robbie Anderton, who'll give you the inside scoop on the secret lives of your pets and have a lighthearted look at the latest animal news, health tips, and other random facts. All names of people and pets have been changed for confidentiality, so if the story sounds familiar, don't flatter yourself. Every owner is just as animal crazy as you are. So sit down, place your furry, feathered, or scaly best friend on your lap, and it's over to Lewis and Robbie. Hello and welcome, listeners, to episode 181 of the Two Vets Talk Pets podcast, where too much talking your pets is barely enough. I'm Dr. Robbie Anderton, and I'm joined this week by a man who has just been found out, controversy, that he's actually doing Wordle on two different devices so that he can actually get up a really good-looking uh, little coloured squares thing uh, to, to when he puts it up on social media. It's Dr. Lewis Kirkham. Lewis, how do you respond to the Wordle controversy that you're actually doing it on two devices so you can make it look like you better get a better score? Actually, what I just do, mate, I just Google it for the day and just get it straight away. Oh, let's go perfect. Wordle for today. It's already some website. Someone's given it, and then you just plug it in. Excellent. Yeah, are you are you big on that, eh, mate? You're uh, you on the the Wordle. I just got just gotten big on it this week. So right. Christina was telling me about it, and I, I'd always seen everyone putting their um, the, the little coloured squares on their mm. social media feeds. I go, oh yeah, why why are people doing this stupid thing? And then Christina said, "Have you played it?" And nah, she said, "Give it a shot." I go, "All right, yeah." And now I'm hooked. Um, mm. I don't I don't I don't post my scores, but I um, but I do I do enjoy it. It's um, it's, it is enjoyable, isn't it? The, the one I've been a bit hooked on is Worldle. Worldle, right? you got to guess the country by its shape, by the borders. Ah, right. Yeah. Which I'm not sure if that's there's a little bit of an issue there with what's going on with the world borders at the moment, which we won't touch on. No, it's no, unfortunate, horrible. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, en- enough controversy last week of um, trying to have a go at Joe Rogan. Last thing we need to do yes, is uh, yes. yeah, co- comment on the the, uh, the 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 Russian Ukrainian crisis. Oh yeah, gosh, it's horrible. Yeah, it's horrible. Um, yeah, world. So yeah, I'll show the shape of a country, and then you got to sort of guess the country, and then it tells you how far away you are in kilometers and which direction you're sort of heading. Ah, it's kind of cool. Right. It's kind of yeah, it's kind of made me learn that. Uh, so there is, uh, you know, there's a, there's a few different countries that you never heard of in Africa that uh, you go, oh, interesting, yeah. But anyway, yeah, yeah. now there, so, there, are, there, yeah. there are a few of them that you only, um, you, know, you, you always kind of, yeah, you know that you know the big ones, but it's in that spot around, um, around West Africa, around that Horn mm. of West Africa. Mm. There's about eighty six countries in there that are all really, really narrow. Suriname and, and all those sorts of yeah, Eritrea, Eritrea, yeah, Eritrea. Speaking of countries. <laughs> Right. I had a um I had a, a someone come in during the week with um with a dachshund, um yes. and uh, and and so this dachshund was um as uh, you know is, is unfortunately happens with some dachshunds came in with uh, you know a little bit wobbly in the back legs and you know some back pain and and I said look I've I've, I've got a feeling that your dachshund you know, we've spoken about it before you know, uh, about dachshunds being um being uh, you know. Uh, having the problems with their cartilage. So they are uh, a chondrodystrophic breeds. So they're at risk of getting problems where they bulge discs into their back. And I said, look, I'm really worried. I think your, um, your, your Dachshund's got a bulging disc. We might need to think about uh, going and doing some advanced imaging and think about whether or not we need to do surgery. And they said, no, no, that's impossible. I said, oh, right. And they right, said, no, wow. no, 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 this is, um, the, this is a New Zealand Dachshund and, uh, and New Zealand Dachshund's, don't have problems with their spines. Wow. And I said, that's right. Wow. 
Yeah. Is that like you have a British bulldog, you have an English bulldog, you have a a New Zealand ducks dachshund? Yes. 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 Versus the German one, the the the, the, the routine German one, and apparently, apparently, genetics wow. wise for the for the New Zealand dachshunds, they don't have back problems. But it might be because I saw this one in Australia that that was the reason why its disc may have gone. Like it might be like a. <sighs> A, a, a climate thing. So, um, so to be interesting for many of our New Zealand listeners over there, whether or not they can actually comment on whether or not they've ever seen Daxons with having a, a intervertebral disc disease or whether it is only a thing that happens in every other Daxon everywhere else around the world. Well, Micah, one of our, our patrons from New Zealand, she might be able to fill us in on that. That's uh, that'd be very interesting to know. And for anyone Robbie's got a little bit of a uh, recovering, not from the spicy cough itself, no. but from a different sort of cough. So in case you were listening, he he did say a bulging disc. Yes. Yes. yes in yes, case disc. it's a little bit husky there, just might have got confused with something else that, um, but yeah, that the Daxons are prone to a bulging disc. Disc. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Only, only, only bulging discs. That's all. Yeah. And, and it's a also dodgy internet connection too, mate. So yeah, we do need to be careful on when things might drop out. Yeah, when you're talking about bulging things. Yeah, and uh, yes, and uh, I um last week we were talking about uh the meet the parents and uh oh, oh yes, Tittles, Greg, can you milk me and the cat, yep. Mister Mister Tittles, Mister Tittles, and I actually went to a school function and I was t- talking. It's, it's funny at the school function. I mean, I haven't done I don't know about you, but I haven't done a lot of social things where sort of since COVID, you know, we go out and you sort of meet people that you perhaps wouldn't normally hang out with mm. and you sort of got to do the bit of chit chat and stuff. And it, it's sort of funny that it's a little bit difficult, but then you say you're a vet and then suddenly, Oh, you know, we've got, Oh, I've got this dog that, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yes. Oh, your behavior. Yes. Yeah, so it's so often you just say you're a scientist or something, something. Just yeah. Yeah. But this person, I did say oh, I'm a vet and they said, Oh, well, our dog's got mastitis. Right. And, and, uh, and they said the vet, the vet's got me, you know, milking the dog three times a day. Right, treat mastitis, and I—I I think I texted you that time, but it's, that's not something I've ever really heard of doing, particularly in dogs. I mean, in cows, yes, we do talk about, you know, when they got mastitis, trying to milk them and, and assist or yep. dry them off. But, yes, uh, but you've certainly you've heard of that where. You know, you're milking the dog that's got mastitis infection of the mammary glands. Well, I mean, you, usually, yeah, the times when everything opens up in and around the mammary gland is when the uh, when the female dogs had had babies, and mm. so then you know the the gland opens up and bacteria gets in, and so then you stick a pup on it and just try and make sure you strip as much of the milk out as you can because the bacteria and, and stuff that's coming out of there, it's all just protein. You know, I remember mm. that from the, um, the, the black and white days of, uh, of my large animal work. If I yeah, just put the, put, put a calf on there and get the calf to suck all the mastitic milk out there because it's all just protein. It'll be fine. Yeah. The yeah. calf doesn't know any different, no. but um, and I, I had a, um, I think it'd be a bit, you know, it's going to be a bit weird if you've got a dog that's, um, that's been de-sex that's suddenly starting to yeah. produce milk. You'd be thinking, well, that's a that's a that's a bit of an odd one. It's almost like they've uh, we we need to get Stu Mason the uh, the uh, the uh, repro specialist onto that uh, friend, Rep- friend of the podcast. Yeah, repro Stu likes reproduction. Exactly. He um, but it may have been that uh, she was desexed. Is it uh, uh, during some sort of phase? I want to say the luteal phase. Yeah, or which, which is. When they're having a phantom pregnancy. Yeah, something something like that. And, and they've been stuck in that with a prolactin surge and a blip, blip, blip as our, uh, our um, late 
about behavior. Like, like great and professor. Prof used to yeah, say, he used, yeah, used to teach us. But anyway, I don't know. So, so I thought that was really interesting because you know, often I find if they've got dogs got mastitis, they're, they're very sore. Yes. They're trying to get uh, convince an owner to tell their dog, you know, to, to milk the dog three times a day. I said, look, I've actually never recommended that. And every time I've seen it, um, I usually just, you know, some antibiotics, maybe some cold compressors and that sort of thing. The cabbage leaf. Cabbage maybe, leaf. Maybe a cabbage leaf. As, as, yep. uh, but, um, but, yeah, it's often very painful. So oh, it's not something I routinely recommend. So interesting that you have recommended it, Robbie. Oh, no, no. Only by milking. No. I just mean putting a pup on there. Oh, right. I, I would yeah. I would milk it myself. No, no, oh. I'm not gonna, no, no, I'm not going to run it into the hairy way dairy and put a little thing on there. No, you just put a puppy on there if you've got one. If you got well, if you got if a, a, a suckling pup lying around, just well, chuck one with, of them on. The thing with the pup, I think, is even then it's sore and the, often the dog. Then you have an issue of the dog not wanting the pup to suck. And yeah. uh, if I, I, I don't, yeah, often if they've got really bad mastitis, I actually you should sometimes recommend weaning the puppies depending on their age if you mm. can't get the mastitis under control. But yeah, anyway, I thought that was a really interesting one just to come up in a in a school function. Um, nice. And speaking of school as well, not also, at all, at least it was the dog that had mastitis and not his wife that he was trying to help you to you know, try and sort out. Yes, yes. And speaking of school as well, I also had another consult during the week of a with a say psychologist who works in primary schools. Right. And she brought her dog in. She just got it approved to be um, a therapy dog in the schools for the for for her to take in. Um, obviously she's a school psychologist and when kids come in, the dog's in there and it sort of helps to break that ice of, you know, helping the at-risk kids to, um, to give something to focus on. So I thought that's, she said, there aren't many of them around and she did have to jump through quite a few hoops. Um, and I said, oh, was it a sort of risk thing of what if the you know, child gets bitten or something like that? She said, no, it was actually a logistic thing of where's the dog going to go to the toilet? Uh, who's going to clean up the mess? Um, what about at lunchtime when you want to go out of the office? You know, I was like, oh, that's interesting. So she said that, you know, the dog has to sort of be with her at all times. It can't be left alone at all in the office. If she goes out of the office, she's got to take the dog with her or hand it over to somebody else. So interesting thing. And I thought that's a great idea though. It would really break the ice of, of communication between a therapist and young child. I think so. Fantastic. I, I think there's, um, there, there is a lot of science that's coming out now of, um, of how much it does help, um, you know, uh, kid, kids that do have, um, you know, neuro, neuro, uh, diverse, uh, you know, um, socializing issues and things like that. Um, so I think it's, I think it's great. You know, I mean, geez, mm. for a school to try and turn around and, and do it um, and all that, because it is often one of those things that just falls into the too hard basket. Mm. But um, I think it's a, like, was it primary school or high school? Yes. Primary school. Primary school. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, just but, really, uh, really lovely. Yeah. 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 No, I think it's a really, really good idea. So yeah. Excellent. Yeah, she said, she said it came from, um, there's a bit of a program of kids reading to dog stuff as well. So it sort of came born out of that. So where, you know, primary age kids, um, you know, sit and read to dogs, read their reader to the dog sort of thing. I suppose it's a non, non judgmental, you know, kind of doesn't tell you when you've, when you've said the word incorrectly or anything like that it makes you feel like, yeah, you know, you know, it's not, uh, Non-judgmental. Yeah, dogs. excellent, excellent. The dogs mm. turn around and try to tell you that you're that you're mispronouncing something. No, sound it out. Sound yeah, it. Roof, that's roof, right. Roof. Yeah. Roof, roof, roof. Exactly. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Very good. And now you you uh, gave us a little uh, a, a little, little sizzle. Yeah, a little snifter last week that you're going to tell us a story about Zilkeen, mate. Yeah, so um, so yeah, we all all know about Zilkeen, about um, you know how wonderful it can be for dogs and cats with 
mild anxiety relieving, um, you know, it's mild anxiety relieving properties. Um, but uh, I had a, a, a case the other day where um, an owner had two two little bunnies, um, and and one of the bunnies um, unfortunately was uh, was taken by a fox, and um, and so they were uh, quite worried about how this other the, the remaining bunny, little marshmallow, mm. was going to go being now being a solo bunny. And I said, well, look, I've got some stuff that it's usually only used for dogs and cats, but. There's no reason why we shouldn't be able to try it yeah. in bunnies. Let's see how we go. So I reached for the Zilkeen Lewis. Now, wow. to, to give you a little bit of um, a little bit of background on this particular little bunny, um, she's about 18 months old, and every other time she's ever come into the clinic, anything I've had to do, she's one of these bunnies that always tries to jump off the table. Yes. And I thought, Oof. okay, right. Well, um, as a look, we'll, you know, we'll try this at home. See, we go talking to the owners. They said, she, we actually feel like she's a bit calmer now. You know, she was seemed a bit, seemed a bit reclusive and things like that. Now she's on the Zilkeen. Things are looking a little bit better. I go, that's wow. Great. Now let's see how she goes when she's in for her examination and her vaccination because she was due for a Khaleesi vaccine. So checking her out and she's sitting on the table and you know, I thought this is actually going really, really well. Um, it's like time to start trimming her nails. So I get down there and I'm trimming her nails, trim her front nails, I get halfway through trimming her back nails and thinking, oh, this, I'll just say, using my calm voice, Lewis, and go, oh, this is doing yes. really well. I'm really happy with that. Yeah, she then, so I was kneeling down, but she jumped clean over my head, off the table, wow. over my head, and landed on the floor behind me. Oh. So, so the fact that usually she would try and, and jump off multiple times, she only tried jumping off once. So so I think part of that was a, was a win for Zilkeen Lewis. I think that, yeah. you know, some, some part of it is there saying, yes, the Zilkeen did help to try and keep her calm for a more extended period than yeah. what we have for her for most of her other visits. Well, we were talking about bulging discs early, so uh, that's uh, that's very very poignant with that bunny leaping off the table. Yeah. So so there you go, Zilkeen. <laughs> multiple uses, not just in dogs and cats. Is that off label? Do we have to say that's off label? Maybe. I, I, well, it's not. Does it's, it have a label? It, I don't think it has a label. Does it? No, you know? it doesn't. I mean, no. talk to your vet before doing it because, you know, this is just something. <laughs> your local vet, not us. Your local vet, not, not us. Really sure. Don't, don't yeah. ask us. Jeez, it'll, take us it, it'll take us three months to get to your question. You know, your bunny will be, you know, your bunny will be really stressed by that. We then. do use it in horses. So, yeah, if it's helping, that's fantastic. Another win for Zilkeen. Mild Another anxiety. win for Zilkeen. Whee! Mild anxiety, lowering medication. Yeah. So get on it, everyone. If you've got uh, if you've got a cat or a dog or even a rabbit. A Maybe a bunwar. Yes. Check out, check out Zilkeen. And then, of course, our other sponsor, mate, is? Uh, is Delicate Care, the Australian-made, Australian-owned, you know, um, what a what a wonderful diet it is, Lewis, the, um, the, the the Delicate Care. And thank you very much to the good people at Delicate Care over there in Western Australia. Um, what a what a great range they've got. Um, they've got their, uh, not only just their Delicate Care range, but also their Cherish brand, which is their, um, their, their uh, sold in pet stores, your, your sort of your, your run-of-the-mill, Dog and cat diets that, uh, you know, for but those that don't with the, need. Still with the quality ingredients, though. Quality ingredients. The, the, the recipe has been formulated by the prof. Um, yes. So, you know, you know you're getting some quality stuff with delicate care. None of these can't get my diet rubbish because it's trying to get in from overseas. Delicate care, you know it'll be there. So, yeah, good on your delicate care. Thank you very much. And Indy, who had the question about the uh, the delicate the care, we're, we're still waiting on the prof 
for an answer there. So he's too, so busy working on the formulations of delicate care that he hasn't been able to get back to us this week. So hopefully he will <laughs> for next week. And also big thank you to our Patreon supporters. Thank you guys. Uh, we do really appreciate you keeping us ticking and, and uh, keeping us going. Yes. Thank you very much for your support. Everyone. All right, now, mate, you got something in the news this week for us. I, I do. Well, this is actually um, from a, a few weeks ago, this one. So this is um, from uh, ABC. It was published on the 13th of January. The title is The Pirate Kitty of Fernie Hills, How a Thieving Ginger Cat Bought Joy to a Brisbane Neighbourhood. So uh, where are we? A cat burglar who delighted dozens of North Brisbane residents by presenting them with hundreds of purloined items over the past year has found a new lifelong indoor home. In March last Purloined? Is is there like, Uh, have they they done a little purr in there, like a double R? They've only got the one R this time, Lewis. Because because it's from ABC, I don't think they're allowed to put in, you know, sort of fun, fun spellings of things. Cat burglar, cat burglar. Uh, it's still all, all spelled correctly, though. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> with a K. Cat. No, no K. No, no, yeah, not at no, all. Not right. at okay. No, I was just wondering, uh, purloined. Yes. Yeah, so it, yep. in March last year, Kay McCall and her husband were moving into their Fernie Hills home when a ginger cat popped over the fence for a pat and quickly became a daily visitor. One day, the McCalls noticed a couple of toys in the backyard. Then another toy appeared in the front yard. Then another. Most days, the presents kept coming. And some days, there was just one. And some days, there was quite a few. And some days, there were none, Mrs. McCall said. Uh, and then we did, uh, we did actually catch him one morning. For months, the McCalls enjoyed waking up each morning to discover what the ginger cat had bought them. Sometimes there were footballs, gloves, or dog toys. He bought several odd socks. He bought a school T-shirt. He bought lots of toys, Mrs. McCall said. He bought a beautiful little Peter Rabbit. Not not the rabbit that, you know, uh, was... Yeah, you know, obviously Mar- from down here that now it's mates on Zilkeen. But Marshmallow, you know. Marshmallow's yeah. little friend that didn't um, quite make it to the backyard. No. After a while, we just accumulated a ridiculous number, literally an entire table full. Finally, in September, Mrs. McCall posted photos of the cat's hall to a local community Facebook group. And there is a picture here that is uh there would be dozens of these kids' toys, dog toys. You know, uh, socks, all sorts of things that this rabbit has grabbed. Dozens of residents commented that they too had been uh, visited by the pirate kitty or recognised one of his prizes. Everyone fell in love with him on the spot and he sort of became a community icon, Mrs. McCall said. As interest in the pirate kitty's thievery grew, she kept posting photos of the gifts, garnering hundreds of delighted comments from followers. Eventually, she managed to track down the ginger thief's owners and established that it had a loving home, even if its owners struggled to keep the quirky cat indoors. But just before Christmas, the pirate kitty's owners decided they could no longer keep their pet safely and asked Mrs. McCall to help find a new home. Meanwhile, another resident, Ingrid Moyle, had been following the Pirate Kitty's adventures. I was a Pirate Kitty fan from the very first post. And then I saw the post that Kay put up saying that his previous owner couldn't keep him anymore. A copywriter and web designer, Mrs. Moyle and her, and her set of family were experienced in fostering and adopting rescue animals. We had a lot of geriatrics pass in the last few months. So we had a kitty sized hole in our hearts. In December, the Moyles welcomed Pirate into their home. Officially, the three-year-old three-year-old cat's name was Johnny, but it did not respond to that. Nor did the cat respond to any of the other other Fernie Hill residents uh, names. For other Fernie Hill residents had given it. Finally, the cat responded to one. 
Kylo. We're Star Wars nuts. So Kylo was this angsty young male who had a red sword. So it seemed obvious that we've got this angsty young red male in the house. And wow. while the pirate kitty is no longer allowed outdoors, its transition into an indoor cat of leisure has been surprisingly smooth. I have a very, very large box of toys of different sizes and shapes. So I just tip this toy box onto the floor downstairs in the lounge room. Miss Moyle said, there's a mixture of stuffed toys, fluffy ones, feathered ones, things on sticks, any of these. He'll just come and stand by your bed and go meow look what i bought you and then he just goes off to get another one oh. so how's that cats wow. collecting toys not yeah. quite as well known about it as dogs but you know sometimes kitty cats don't mind going and grabbing some stuff well my reminds me of my uh, mother-in-law's cat mickey who will uh, go out and routinely brings home things, brought home a uh, glove, like a gardening gloves, brought home uh, lots was of toys. Was there a hand inside of the glove still? Did they chew mm, it off the just, gardener? Just, just one finger. One just finger. One, well, that's one right. Finger. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a feather boa. Not Someone, nice. So, yeah. Someone's obviously, you know, lives around the corner for the evening. Ronda Birchmore. Just, just up for the evening. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, from the cabaret show down the road. Yes. Somebody doing and, a bit of burlesque and then they yeah. lost half of their uh, half of their uniform from their cat. Yeah. So I mean, um, yeah, my my mother-in-law, she's got yeah, she's got a box of of items that Mickey's brought in. She calls um Mickey the little five-fingered thief. Right. So there you go. So yes, it must be a fairly common thing that happens. And uh, and she often just goes around to the neighbors and just uh, drops off the individual items. You know, is this is this yours? Is this which one's yours? Take a bit of a lucky dip box, perhaps. Just yeah. Uh, just is, pop is your it... hand in and and oh, this is my feather power. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Oh, how about how about these these fluffy handcuffs? Whose ones are those? <laughs> no, oh no, no, I've never seen those ones. What? No, that's not my bag, baby. Not at all. I don't know where that's come from at all. No. <laughs> Very nice. This was um this is an article I saw in uh, My Vet Candy. Right. So, uh, uh, core strength could help dogs avoid knee injuries. No. Agility dogs lacking core strength from routine physical exercise and those participating activities like flyball may be more susceptible to one of the most common canine knee injuries. The knee injury is, of course, the cranial cruciate ligament rupture which is similar to the anterior cruciate ligament rupture we, that occurs in humans. According to a research survey documenting activity injury odds of more than 1,200 agility dogs, just about any physical exercise seems to lower the risk of rupturing the ligament. But some exercises seem to increase the risk. In addition, the size and shape of the dog and thereby certain breeds were found to be a higher risk. Um. In a, uh, they found that balance exercises, wobble boards, anything that improves the core strength of the dog seems to lower the odds of a ligament tear, said Deb really? Sellen of Washington State University and lead author on the published BMC Veterinary Research. We found fitness matters for dogs just like it does for people, and we haven't shown that before. So interesting that one of the the exercise we do as humans is a plank, isn't it? We do, we do a plank for our core strength. Yes. Is that, is that why I don't know about you, mate? I haven't seen many Daxons that get knee injuries that get a cruciate injury. Is that because they're always planking? They're always, they, they, they have the, they're, they're planking for you know, what, what we could, would call standing. They, they, they're just planking all <laughs> the just time. Planking, planking for hours. So maybe that's why they don't get knee injuries unrelated wow. to their exercise and the fact that, Probably not big candidates for fly ball. Yes, yeah, and they and they they they're 
forward motion of their legs is only one and a half inches anyway. So there's not, there's, there's never, there's never a whole lot of time that their cruciates under that much stress and strain. Well, probably any time the cruciates about to snap, he goes, Oh, that's my back. That's my disc, <laughs> yes. disc bulge. That's my disc bulge there. In addition to balance. No, not core, the New Zealand ones, not the New Zealand no, ones. No, no, no. That'd be interesting. What are, this study was obviously in America, not in no, New Zealand. Ah, there you go. Perhaps, yep. yeah, that would be different. Perhaps there's a, there's a run of Daxons with, not back injuries, but but leg injuries. Yes. In addition to balance and core strengthening exercise activities like dock diving, I don't know what that is, barn hunt and scent work are associated with a decreased rate of ligament rupture, while regular activity like swimming, playing fetch or frisbee, walking or running didn't increase the risk of injury. It didn't lower the odds either. Surprisingly, dogs that competed more frequently in agility events and competed at a higher level on more technically rigorous types of courses were less likely to rupture their cruciate ligaments. The only physical activities that increased the odds of injury were short walks or runs over hilly or flat terrain on a weekly basis. And many of these injuries were in dogs early in their agility career that lacked core strength from routine physical exercise or at times rest days. So the dogs are just the weekend warrior dogs, perhaps they're yep. saying. You know? Go, going out and doing too much on a weekend. Exactly. Going for a short walk or a run on the run on the hilly terrain just on the weekends. Or after they've been been sedentary all winter and then they go, right, now the owners say, right, the weather's looking better now. Let's go for let's, let's head down to the dog beach. Exactly. Training or competing in the new and popular dog sport, fly ball was found to be the riskiest activity of all activities evaluated in the survey. Agility dogs that also engaged in the sport of fly ball were nearly twice as likely to rupture the ligament as compared to other dogs. Nearly 12% of dogs reported to play fly ball ruptured the ligament. Wow. The survey confirmed some longstanding well-accepted risk factors as well. In particular, female dogs spayed before the age of one were almost twice as likely to rupture the ligament compared to dogs that were spayed after their first birthday. Right. Selen said this is believed to reflect the importance of hormones in developing strong ligaments in young animals. Trends were identified, also identified among certain breeds. Survey results indicate Australian shepherds and Labrador retrievers with more, were more than twice as likely to rupture the ligament. Rottweilers and Australian cattle dogs were more than four times as likely to tear the ligament. Marcel, Marcel and Little, I don't know who that is. I didn't... Uh, She's a veterinary orthopedic specialist with the uh, University of California, Davis. Uh, Speculates that that could have something to do with the shape of the dog and maybe its tail. Oh, the tail. The tail. Larger dogs doing agility tend to be less balanced. So it's not surprising a Rottweiler or Australian Shepherd may be at high risk of rupture compared to smaller breeds, he said. The tail could also be a factor. The tail has been proven very important for cheetahs. And you can imagine it has a role to play in the overall balance of the dog. Fair enough. They're a specialist. Fair okay. enough. Marcel and, Marcel and Little said there is still a great deal of research that needs to be completed, but the survey gives veterinarians a place to start. The research decreases uncertainty, and it does bring certainty, but this one study could provoke thoughts and help us look at potential research areas target to target moving forward. He said, that is the type of research that the Agility Dog Health Network is planning to support so interesting there you go, there go. A, little bit of, a little bit of an idea so maybe if you're doing a bit of fly ball um with your dog you need to do more balance exercises and wobble board exercises to improve their core strength might help 
decrease that risk of getting getting a cruciate injury. It is interesting to to think about um, you know increasing the core strength of dogs. I mean, you know, mm. I do I do do a little bit of wobble board. Um, I recommend wobble board stuff with dogs, like particularly if they've got um, you know like instability in their front legs, to try and help to you know strengthen up their muscles a little bit that way. Like you're know, getting them standing on like pillows and rocking and things like that. Mm. But um, yeah, yeah, it's or interesting balancing balancing on one of those big fit balls, you know. Yes, yeah, no, and trying to, sit try on. to run it around in circles. Yeah, yeah, yep. And then putting a little hat on them and maybe a yep. whistle in the mouth and some big big shoes and a nose, red nose. Yes, clown college style. Yeah, yeah, clown dogs. I love it. I love it. Exactly. And also this is um this is another article. How are we going for time? I think we might get through into this one. Yeah. Do kittens recognize their mothers even after they've lived apart? Oh. And this is interesting. Wow. Someone asked me this the other day. And, oh, no, the girls asked me if Olive, my cat Olive, she was a stray. Um, she was dumped with a box of uh, of other kittens, um, you know, and the girls were saying, well, if she met her siblings, would they recognise her? And if she met her mum, would the mum recognise her? I, I wasn't actually really sure, but I thought maybe this article from uh, the Australian Veterinary Society of Animal Behaviourists might be able to help us. A previously reported study... Uh, as I previously read, this is from Mike Delgado, who previously reported a study that found mother cats can discriminate their own kitten smell from that of other kittens by, yes, you guessed it, sniffing their butts. So mum cats can recognise their kittens by scent, but what about kittens? Do they recognise the smell of their mum, their moms? Mom. You have an idea where we're coming from. What area? Uh, in Wordle. If that was Wordle. in uh, Wordle. World or yes, and it said moms. I would know that's probably a probably America or yes, Canada. yep. And would they be able to do so a year after being separated from her from their mum? The same team, uh, same a team of researchers in Mexico City conduct a study to find out. The manuscript "Are You My Mummy?" Not <laughs> mommy. Interesting. Long-term olfactory memory of mother's body odor by offspring in the domestic cat. Ooh, what a name! Are you my mommy? like that though, was just published in the journal, The Animal Cognition. The researchers have a free-ranging colony of cats that are used for their research. In the study, they tested 58 kittens from 15 different litters of eight different mother cats. Kittens were tested first at eight weeks of age by presenting them simultaneously with three cotton swabs. One swab had the scent of their mother, collected by rubbing the swab all over the mother's face, gin, back, stomach, and yes, bottom mm-hmm. area one swab had the odor from an the odor from another female cat and the last scent last swab was a swab from one taken, of the researchers taken from robbie yes yes just all over your face your nose face chin yep. back stomach and around your anal genital region as yeah well. so when collecting the odour of the second non-related female cat, the researchers were sort of matched the reproductive status of the mother. So if she was spayed, so so if she was spayed, so was the second cat. And also made sure that Robbie was similar reproductive yep. status at the time that yep. the swab was taken. The swabs were offered to the kitten and their response was a video recorder while being gently restrained. Interesting. Right. There's a really cool little photo of you, the cat 
like sort of like when you you first come onto Zoom and or you know or you first answer FaceTime on the phone and there's just a head there like really right just really lane, close like, up yeah really yeah. close sort of when you ring um it looks a bit like the cat doing that but it's sniffing a little swab it's very very cute has got its ears back though so it does look oh, like it's perhaps enjoying it not gently being restrained no, no. But rather rather quite firmly being Fir- restrained perhaps just yes. for, just so the photos in focus maybe. Yeah, maybe, or perhaps the restraint that sometimes you need on the younger children when you're doing a rat test swab on their nose. Yes. You need to kind of restrain them in a certain manner so they don't move away too yes. much. Uh, so the uh, the response was recorded while being gently restrained until the kitten turned their head away from the swabs. The researchers then coded the video for a duration of time. The kitten sniffed each swab. The kittens were adopted out after the first test. Oh, interesting. Were you adopted? No, not, no, you're not, no. Didn't have to adopt Robbie out. No, he had a home to go home to. Yes, yeah. And were retested in their new homes when they were four months, six months, and one year old. It should be noted that not all kittens were available for all four tests. Mm. Fair enough. Lost to follow up. So, how did the kittens respond to the swabs? At two months of age, they spent more time sniffing the swab of the unfamiliar female cat compared to their own own mother's scent and Robbie's scent. My scent. Yep. This may be because the kittens were used to the smell of their own mum. And we're paying attention to this new strange scent. Dogs and rats also show a tendency around the time of weaning to investigate unfamiliar smells more than those that are familiar. At four months of age, the kittens have been separated from their mother for around two months. At this point, there was not a clear difference in sniffing time for female kittens, but male kittens spent more time sniffing the swab from their own mother. Mama's boys. The male, yeah. Mummy boys. Yeah. Mummy. No, I can understand that. At six months and one year of age, both male and female kittens showed a strong preference for sniffing the swab with their mother's scent compared to the two other two swabs. This suggests that kittens may, might retain a memory of the scent of their mother for up to one year. Whether they recognize the smell as their mother or as just familiar is unknown, but they clearly responded differently when presented with a scent compared to that of an unknown cat. Would it be helpful to, for kittens to remember their mothers? Mm, that's unclear. One hypothesis is that recognizing relatives would help you avoid mating with them. Mm. It'd be interesting to see if kittens would have similar responses to their siblings or if they could discriminate between, say, their mother and an aunt. However, it does not appear that cats are that discriminating when it comes to making babies, mm. and many will mate with close relatives. Absolutely. This, this research also supports the hypothesis that cats have individual odor signatures that remain stable over time. These scent signatures are likely important to cat relationships of all types, whether cats who are related or cats who live together as preferred associates, or perhaps even tracking cats who are unfriendly with one another. So that's a cool little study. I thought that's yeah. interesting. A little bit of just a uh, just a little insight into maybe they still do remember their mums. A little bit, a little bit. There's a little bit of that recognition mm. there. Ah, oh, mm. isn't that nice? Yeah, isn't that nice? Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm cooked, mate. I think you're cooked. Yeah, All right, yeah, no yeah, worries. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I'm, I'm 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 feeling like crap. So that's um, right. No worries. Try so me, try we'll, me to we'll do the disclaimer up. and then um and then do yep. um yep. Sorry, and then we'll man, finish I'm up. Just, yeah, yeah, that's fine. No, no, no worries. Let me just write down where are one oh four. Cool. Yep. 
All right. All advice on the show is generally nature. So please, please uh, uh, consult your veterinarian before following advice for your pet or using things for rabbits, you know, if you're not supposed to. Um, we do our best to provide the most up-to-date information with veterinary medicine is continually advancing and changing. Please let us know if we've missed anything or if you need any clarification. Um, All righty. Now, Robbie, is uh, he's a little bit under the weather, so he's fading fast. So we might have to finish <laughs> up, I think, and, uh, yeah. and let, let him just go and have a, have a little afternoon rest. But we will next week. We've got Got a question from from Kavitha about uh, Pika in dogs, so we might yep. touch on touch on that next week. Uh, if you have got any questions, in the meantime, two vets talk pets at gmail.com. We're on the socials. Um, you can get onto us, um, and on, we're on Patreon. Please support us on Patreon if you, you can. But other than that, we'll, uh, we'll we might see you next time. We'll scratch you later. Peace out, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to Two Vets Talk Pets with Lewis and Robbie. To chat further about this week's episode or ask the guys any questions, search Two Vets Talk Pets on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or send an email to Two Vets Talk Pets at gmail.com. You can find Lewis on Twitter with the handle at Vet Behaviorist, and more importantly, as the two pet heroes return to their day job of saving animals' lives, be sure to thank them with a five star review on iTunes. Every time you do, a small, cute animal will receive a cuddle.